Section five of Idols of the King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Idols of the King by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Section five. Geraint and Enid. Part one. O oh, purblind race of miserable men! How many among us at this very hour do forge a life-long trouble for ourselves, by taking true for false, or false for true? Here, through the feeble twilight of this world groping, how many, until we pass and reach that other, where we see as we are seen? So fared it with Geraint, who, issuing forth that morning, when they both had got to horse, perhaps because he loved her passionately, and felt that tempest brooding round his heart, which, if he spoke at all, would break perforce upon a head so dear in thunder, said, "'Not at my side. I charge thee, ride before, ever a good way on before. And this I charge thee, on thy duty as a wife, whatever happens not to speak to me, no, not a word.' and Enid was aghast, and forth they rode, but scarce three paces on, when crying out, Effeminate as I am, I will not fight my way with gilded arms, all shall be iron. He loosed a mighty purse, hung at his belt, and hurled it toward the squire. So the last sight that Enid had of home was all the marbled threshold flashing, strewn with gold and scattered coinage, and the squire chafing his shoulder. Then he cried again, "'To the wilds!' And Enid leading down the tracks through which he bade her lead him on, they passed the marches, and by bandit-haunted holds, grey swamps and pools, waste-places of the hern, and wildernesses, perilous paths they rode. Round was their pace at first, but slackened soon. A stranger meeting them had surely thought they rode so slowly and they looked so pale that each had suffered some exceeding wrong, for he was ever saying to himself, Oh, that I wasted time to tend upon her, to compass her with sweet observances, to dress her beautifully and keep her true! And there he broke the sentence in his heart abruptly, as a man upon his tongue may break it, when his passion masters him and she was ever praying the sweet heavens to save her dear Lord Whole from any wound. And ever in her mind she cast about for that unnoticed failing in herself which made him look so cloudy and so cold, till the great plover's human whistle amazed her heart, and glancing round the waist she feared an ever-wavering break an ambuscade. Then thought again, If there be such in me I might amend it by the grace of heaven, if he would only speak and tell me of it. But when the fourth part of the day was gone, then Enid was aware of three tall knights on horseback, wholly armed, behind a rock in shadow, waiting for them, caitiffs all, and heard one crying to his fellow, Look, here comes a laggard hanging down his head, who seems no bolder than a beaten hound. Come! We will slay him, and will have his horse and armour, and his damsel shall be ours." Then Enid pondered in her heart, and said, "'I will go back a little to my lord, and I will tell him all their caitiff talk, 
For be he wroth even to slaying me, far liefer by his dear hand had I die than that my lord should suffer loss or shame. Then she went back some paces of return, met his full frown timidly firm, and said, My lord, I saw three bandits by the rock waiting to fall on you, and heard them boast that they would slay you and possess your horse and armour, and your damsel should be theirs. He made a wrathful answer. Did I wish your warning or your silence? One command I laid upon you, not to speak to me. And thus ye keep it? Well, then, look, for now, whether ye wish me victory or defeat, long for my life or hunger for my death, yourself shall see my vigour is not lost. Then Enid waited, pale and sorrowful, and down upon him bare the bandit three, and at the midmost charging, Prince Gedeint drave the long spear a cubit through his breast and out beyond, and then against his brace of comrades, each of whom had broken on him a lance that splintered like an icicle, swung from his brand a windy buffet out once, twice, to right, to left, and stunned the twain or slew them, and dismounting like a man that skins the wild beast after slaying him, stripped from the three dead wolves of woman born the three gay suits of armour which they wore, and let the bodies lie, but bound the suits of armour on their horses, each on each, and tied the bridle-reins of all the three together, and said to her, Drive them on before you, and she drove them through the waste. He followed nearer. Ruth began to work against his anger in him, while he watched the being he loved best in all the world, with difficulty in mild obedience driving them on. He fain had spoken to her, and loosed in words of sudden fire the wrath and smouldering wrong that burnt him all within. But evermore it seemed an easier thing at once without remorse to strike her dead, than to cry, Halt! and to her own bright face accuse her of the least immodesty and thus tongue-tied, it made him wroth the more that she could speak, whom his own ear had heard call herself false, and suffering thus he made minutes an age, but in scarce longer time than at Carleon the full-tided usk, before he turned to fall seaward again, pauses, did Enid, keeping watch, behold in the first shallow glade of a deep wood, before a gloom of stubborn shafted oaks, three other horsemen waiting, wholly armed, whereof one seemed far larger than her lord, and shook her pulses, crying, Look, a prize, three horses and three goodly suits of arms, and all in charge of whom? A girl? Set on. Nay, said the second, yonder comes a knight. The third, a craven, how he hangs his head. The giant answered merrily, Yea, but one. Wait here, and when he passes fall upon him. And Enid pondered in her heart, and said, I will abide the coming of my lord, and I will tell him all their villainy. My lord is weary with the fight before, and they will fall upon him unawares. I needs must disobey him for his good. How should I dare obey him to his harm? Needs must I speak, and though he kill me for it, I save a life dearer to me than mine. And she abode his coming, and said to him with timid firmness, have I leave to speak? He said, Ye take it, speaking. And she spoke. There lurk three villains yonder in the wood, and each of them is wholly armed, and one is larger-limbed than you are, 
and they say that they will fall upon you while ye pass." To which he flung a wrathful answer back. And if there were an hundred in the wood, and every man were larger limbed than I, and all at once should sally out upon me, I swear it would not ruffle me so much as you that not obey me. Stand aside, and if I fall, cleave to the better man." And Enid stood aside to wait the event, not dare to watch the combat, only breathe short fits of prayer, at every stroke a breath. And he, she dreaded most, bare down upon him, aimed at the helm, his lance erred. But Geraint's, a little in the late encounter strained, struck through the bulky bandit's corselet home, and then brake short, and down his enemy rolled, and there lay still, as he that tells the tale saw once a great piece of a promontory that had a sapling growing on it, slide from the long shore-cliff's windy walls to the beach, and lie there still, and yet the sapling grew. So lay the man transfixed, his craven pair of comrades making slowlier at the prince, when now they saw their bulwark fallen, stood, on whom the victor, to confound them more, spurred with his terrible war-cry. For as one that listens near a torrent mountain brook, all through the crash of the near cataract hears the drumming thunder of the huger fall at distance, were the soldiers wont to hear his voice in battle, and be kindled by it, and foemen scared like that false pair who turned flying, but overtaken, died the death themselves had wrought on many an innocent. Thereon Gedeint, dismounting, picked the lance that pleased him best, and drew from those dead wolves their three gay suits of armour, each from each, and bound them on their horses, each on each, and tied the bridle reins of all the three together, and said to her, Drive them on before you, and she drove them through the wood. He followed nearer still. The pain she had to keep them in the wild ways of the wood, two sets of three laden with jingling arms, together served a little to disedge the sharpness of that pain about her heart. And they themselves, like creatures gently born but into bad hands fallen, and now so long by bandits groomed, pricked their light ears, and felt her low firm voice and tender government. So through the green gloom of the wood they passed, and issuing under open heavens beheld a little town with towers upon a rock, and close beneath a meadow gem-like chased in the brown wild, and mowers mowing in it. And down a rocky pathway from the place there came a fair-haired youth, that in his hand bare victual for the mowers, and Gedeint had Ruth again on Enid looking pale. Then, moving downward to the meadow-ground, he, when the fair-haired youth came by him, said, "'Friend, let her eat. The damsel is so faint.' "'Yea, willingly,' replied the youth. And thou, my lord, eat also, though the fare is coarse, and only meat for mowers. Then set down his basket, and dismounting on the sward they let the horses graze and ate themselves. And Enid took a little delicately, less having stomach for it than desire to close with her lord's pleasure. But Gedeind ate all the mowers' victual unawares, and when he found all empty was amazed. And, boy, said he, I have eaten all, but take a horse and arms for Gerdon, choose the best." He, reddening in extremity of delight, "'My lord, you overpay me fifty-fold!' "'Ye will be all the wealthier,' cried the prince. "'I take it as free gift, then,' said the boy. "'Not Gerdon, 
for myself can easily, while your good damsel rests, return and fetch fresh victual for these mowers of our earl. For these are his, and all the field is his, and I myself am his, and I will tell him how great a man thou art. He loves to know when men of mark are in his territory, and he will have thee to his palace here, and serve thee costlier than with mowers fare." Then said Gedeint, I wish no better fare. I never ate with angrier appetite than when I left your mowers dinnerless, and into no earl's palace will I go. I know, God knows, too much of palaces, and if he wants me let him come to me. But hire us some fair chamber for the night, and stalling for the horses, and return with victual for these men, and let us know." "'Yea, my kind lord,' said the glad youth, and went, held his head high, and thought himself a knight, and up the rocky pathway disappeared leading the horse, and they were left alone. But when the prince had brought his errant eyes home from the rock, sideways he let them glance at Enid where she drooped, his own false doom, that shadow of mistrust should ever cross betwixt them, came upon him and he sighed. Then with another humorous Ruth remarked the lusty mowers labouring dinnerless, and watched the sun blaze on the turning scythe, and after nodded sleepily in the heat. But she, remembering her old ruined hall, and all the windy clamour of the daws about her hollow turret, plucked the grass there growing longest by the meadow's edge, and into many a listless annulet, now over, now beneath her marriage-ring, wove and unwove it, till the boy returned and told them of a chamber, and they went. Where, after saying to her, If ye will, call for the woman of the house, to which she answered, Thanks, my lord. The two remained apart by all the chamber's width, and mute as two creatures voiceless through the fault of birth, or two wild men supporters of a shield, painted, who stare at open space, nor glance the one at other, parted by the shield. On a sudden many a voice along the street and heel against the pavement echoing burst their drowse, and either started while the door, pushed from without, drave backward to the wall, and midmost of a rout of roisterers, femininely fair and dissolutely pale, her suitor in old years before Gedeint, entered, the wild lord of the place, Limor. He, moving up with pliant courtliness, greeted Gedeint full face, but stealthily, in the mid-warmth of welcome and grasped hand, found Enid with the corner of his eye, and knew her sitting sad and solitary. Then cried Gedeint for wine and goodly cheer to feed the sudden guest, and sumptuously according to his fashion, bade the host call in what men soever were his friends, and feast with these in honour of their earl. And care not for the cost, the cost is mine. And wine and food were brought, and Earl Limor drank till he jested with all ease, and told free tales, and took the word and played upon it, and made it of two colours for his talk, when wine and free companions kindled him, was wont to glance and sparkle like a gem of fifty facets. Thus he moved the prince to laughter and his comrades to applause. Then, when the prince was merry, asked Limor, "'Your leave, my lord, to cross the room and speak to your good damsel there who sits apart and seems so lonely?' "'My free leave,' he said. "'Get her to speak. She doth not speak to me.' Then rose Limor, and looking at his feet, like him who tries the bridge he fears may fail, crossed and came near, lifted adoring eyes, bowed at her side, and uttered whisperingly, "'Enid, 
the pilot-star of my lone life, Enid, my early and my only love, Enid, the loss of whom hath turned me wild! What chance is this? How is it that I see you here? Ye are in my power at last, are in my power! Yet fear me not. I call mine own self wild, but keep a touch of sweet civility here in the heart of waste and wilderness. I thought but that your father came between, in former days you saw me favourably. And if it were so, do not keep it back. Make me a little happier. Let me know it. Oh, you mean nothing for a life half lost? Yea, yea, the whole dear debt of all you are. And Enid, you and he, I see with joy, ye sit apart, you do not speak to him. You come with no attendance, page or maid, to serve you. Doth he love you as of old? For, call it lovers' quarrels, yet I know, though men may bicker with the things they love, they would not make them laughable in all eyes, not while they loved them. And your wretched dress, a wretched insult on you, dumbly speaks your story, that this man loves you no more. Your beauty is no beauty to him now, a common chance, right well I know it, palled, for I know men, nor will ye win him back, for the man's love once gone never returns. But here is one who loves you as of old, with more exceeding passion than of old. Good, speak the word, my followers ring him round, he sits unarmed. I hold a finger up, they understand, nay, I do not mean blood, nor need ye look so scared at what I say. My malice is no deeper than a moat, no stronger than a wall. There is the keep, he shall not cross us more. Speak but the word, or speak it not, but then by him that made me the one true lover whom you ever owned, I will make use of all the power I have. Oh, pardon me, the madness of that hour when first I parted from thee moves me yet. At this the tender sound of his own voice, and sweet self-pity, or the fancy of it, made his eye moist. But Enid feared his eyes, moist as they were, wine heated from the feast, and answered with such craft as women use, guilty or guiltless, to stave off a chance that breaks upon them perilously, and said, Earl, if you love me as in former years, and do not practice on me, come with morn and snatch me from him as by violence. Leave me to-night. I am weary to the death." Lo, at leave-taking, with his brandished plume brushing his instep, bowed the all-amorous earl, and the stout prince bade him aloud good-night. He, moving homeward, babbled to his men, how Enid never loved a man but him, nor cared a broken eggshell for her lord. But Enid, left alone with Prince Gedeint, debating his command of silence given, and that she now perforce must violate it, held commune with herself and while she held he fell asleep, and Enid had no heart to wake him, but hung o'er him, wholly pleased to find him yet unwounded after fight, and hear him breathing low and equally. Anon she rose, and stepping lightly, heaped the pieces of his armour in one place, all to be there against a sudden need. Then dozed a while herself, but overtoiled by that day's grief and travel, evermore seemed catching at a rootless thorn, and then went slipping down horrible precipices, and strongly striking out her limbs, awoke. Then thought she heard the wild earl at the door, with all his rout of random followers, sound on a dreadful trumpet, summoning her, which was the red cock shouting to the light, 
as the grey dawn stole o'er the dewy world, and glimmered on his armour in the room. And once again she rose to look at it, but touched it unawares. Jangling, the cask fell, and he started up and stared at her. Then, breaking his command of silence given, she told him all that Earl Limore had said, except the passage that he loved her not, nor left untold the craft herself had used, but ended with apology so sweet, low-spoken, and of so few words, and seemed so justified by that necessity, that though he thought, was it for him she wept in Devon? He but gave a wrathful groan, saying, Your sweet faces made good fellows fools and traitors. Call the host and bid him bring charger and palfrey. So she glided out among the heavy breathings of the house, and like a household spirit at the walls beat, till she woke the sleepers and returned. Then tending her rough lord, though all unasked in silence, did him service as a squire, till issuing armed he found the host and cried, Thy reckoning, friend? And ere he learnt it, Take five horses and their armours. And the host, suddenly honest, answered in amaze, My lord, I scarce have spent the worth of one. Ye will be all the wealthier, said the prince. And then to Enid, Forward, and to-day I charge you, Enid, more especially, what things soever ye may hear or see or fancy, though I count it of small use to charge you, that ye speak not, but obey. And Enid answered, Yea, my lord, I know your wish, and would obey, but riding first I hear the violent threats you do not hear, I see the danger which you cannot see. Then not to give you warning, that seems hard, almost beyond me. Yet I would obey. Yea, so, said he, do it, be not too wise, seeing that ye are wedded to a man, not all mismated with a yawning clown, but one with arms to guard his head and yours, with eyes to find you out however far, and ears to hear you even in his dreams. With that he turned and looked as keenly at her, as careful robins eye the delver's toil, and that within her, which a wanton fool or hasty judger would have called her guilt, made her cheek burn and either eyelid fall. And Geraint looked, and was not satisfied. End of section 5